Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined with Emmanuel Champong, who is a co-founder and CEO of RoboMUA, which is an innovative AI solutions company with a visionary focus on catering to all skin shades. So at RoboMUA, the mission is to revolutionize industries by building custom AI algorithms that excel in skin recognition, analysis, matching, and more. So this allowed the team to win the technology of the year at the 2023 Smart Retail Tech Conference. He enjoys teaching people about the AI field and has taught project courses on AI models um, on Coursera and other places. Really just an expert in this whole area. Welcome to the podcast today, Emmanuel. Thank you for having me, Jaden. Really appreciate it. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. Like I said, I'd love to kind of kick this thing off by asking you um, if you can tell us a little bit about your journey, what, you know, brought you to being a co-founder and you know the ceo of this company what what kind of brought you to to founding this yeah uh so i had a more traditional path uh i did computer science and uh mathematics in my undergrad uh so i went to undergrad in kentucky a school called berea college and during that okay. i had an internship with a startup founder in new york and they were at the time you know for a lot of cs students they were like hey you should get into software engineering but my my mentor was like hey this thing called AI is going to blow up in a few years, right? So I would really, I think you should get into it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. And with your math background, you'd be a perfect fit for it. So all of the projects I worked on that summer was related to like data science and ML stuff. And I started cool. online courses, so I had to go ton of online courses because yeah, I wasn't as huge as it is now. I right? back in 2016, 2017. So I had to go ton of online courses on Coursera. I was taking every course from Andrew and to you know the Stanford Machine Learning course. I took over 100 courses, and that eventually led me to being able to build my own project. Right? So it's like I moved from just studying AI and like okay, I can see a problem, frame it in an AI perspective, and build a project on that. So that is how like the ability to build things in that space came about. Uh, but after that, like I was able to identify various problems in, you know, around my community. I like I had a friend mm. who was into makeup who really had a hard time finding like a perfect makeup shade for herself. She would do a mm-hmm. lot of trial and error, buy a ton of products, and then have to like throw a ton of stuff out. And I was like, this is a computer vision problem, right? So mm-hmm. let me try to build a, a few proof of concept that would work for you. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was, she loved this so much. She tell, started telling all her friends to try it out. And they loved it. So uh, at the beginning, it got like, what, five skin shades. And gradually, as the interest in it kept growing, uh, eventually decided to build it uh, after attending Notre Dame for my master's. 
where I did my thesis on the intersection of AI and directed energy weapons, which is like laser. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. This is, this could be something. So let's expand on that. So with me and my co-founders, we're able to like spread this to and see how it goes. So that's like the short version of the journey. So cool. Super, super cool. Okay. So fascinating background. Tell us, so you mentioned like a little bit about the co-founders and stuff, but like really walk us through what did that look like when you guys started this company? How did you find your co-founders? What was the conversation and like what really kind of got this thing kicked off? Yeah. So luckily for me, most of my co-founders, I'd known them for years, we went to the same college. Okay. They were all tied to their classes. So it was like easy to transition. And yeah, that conversation again started from, hey, I can build this proof of concept for my friend who loves it and the channel of their friends, this could be something. Uh, but I think really going to Notre Dame and being exposed to the entrepreneurial space in like, you know, in my graduate program, how yeah. was very, very uh, encouraging of an entrepreneurial journey. That's what really helped like, push us into life. So honestly, if I hadn't gone to like Notre Dame and been involved in the Idea Center, which is like the entrepreneurial venture mm-hmm. tools, I wouldn't have known a lot. So I got exposed lot of things, right? How the legal setups work, how to engage with uh, PCs, like all those things we're able to have access to that. So that is what really catapulted us to the next phase. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And I uh, totally understand that. I studied um, marketing. That was kind of my background nice. for kind of getting into like software and AI. It's funny. I'm like not a technical founder. Um, I definitely should, should uh, get more into that. But um, it's interesting because for me, same thing. I went and studied uh, entrepreneurship at my college. They had an entrepreneurship center, and it was just like so eye-opening to me. Yeah, yeah. meet people, and it literally, really, that's like what got me my first investors on my first software startup, and kind of moved my whole trajectory, my career along. Was a hundred percent some of those resources. So, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about like, oh, like you don't need college, just like learn on YouTube and go build your thing. And I'm like, like there is some serious value to the network, to the perspectives, to all of that. And I mean, even for you, like having solid, um, having solid mentors, which has been huge for me, but you know, that steered you in the direction of AI to begin with. I mean, I wish I had a mentor that told me to go into AI five years ago, but that's fine, whatever. Um, so tell me, you know, when you guys first got this kicked off, what were your first steps? Were you, did you go raise venture funding at the beginning? I know you had a proof of concept because you've been building this for your friend. What were, what were your first steps? Yeah, so we didn't do any venture raising uh, and it was very intentional because again, okay. a lot of times I was super technical to build it. Like the team yeah. around me could like yeah. get things done. So it wasn't like we needed to raise money to build this idea. The idea yeah. uh, work in pro- uh, like it was in progress right, at this point. So mm-hmm. we didn't really raise what. Uh, I think later on we might, but it's never really been a, like a blocker for us, right? It was very like, okay. we build as much as we can without needing external uh, help. So we get mm-hmm. to the point where if we do need external help, it will only mean like we just wanted to sc- uh, scale or accelerate our scaling much faster. But for now, mm-hmm. not really. We didn't really need to raise funds because the technical talent was there. Uh, yeah, Talent to do the marketing whole is there. So it wasn't like, and we're uh, a bit uh, cash flow positive, so we could make that work on our own without needing external. It will eventually come, but for now, I think we could. Okay, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. So, you launch this, you launch this product, 
um, talk to me about today where it's at and like the number one problem it's solving for customers and like who is using this. I, I know this is this thing's growing quite impressive, but yeah, tell everyone about it. Yeah, so uh, most of our main customers are B2B clients who are like trying to get the, uh, you know, users to find the right shape. So an example of the customer we've had is uh, called Nude Bar. Yeah, it's shapewear company. So think of shapewear like Kim Kardashian's skins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shapewear, it has to match your skin shade, right? You have to return it. And this is an online business, right? So it's not like people are going in and trying things on. You have seen it online, buying it online. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't fit, they have to return it, right? So mm-hmm. we integrate our algorithm to them so that users can just take a picture of, you know, their bodies or a patch of skin and find the right shade of the product so they don't have to return it, right? So, and for shapewear, unlike other fashion articles, if people return it, you have to destroy it. You can't like repurpose it uh, when people return that stuff. So using the algorithm, they're able to reduce, you know, the amount of uh, returns that they had, which was a plus. So those are like the main customers. We do have a mobile app, but it's mostly for like testing and trying things out. We're still like, okay. you know, making sure the direct-to-consumer part is uh, viable as well. But most of our customers and our clients are B2B direct to business. So another example is a company called Pine Minute Shade. Uh, There's also a, an online business where people can find their various makeup products, various fashion products. Basically. Mm. Those are the people we actually uh, are our main customers. Right? But for the direct to consumer, we're still working the kinks out. That's super cool. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm I like I'm excited to see where that goes when the D2C comes out too. But talk to me about like how you know with the B2B side of things, how did you find these first customers? Was this just cold outreach? You know, did you know someone that g- gave you an intro? Like what did that Yeah, yeah, no. So for the very first few customers, it was mainly intros because people had okay. seen like the things I'll post on LinkedIn, like because I would share yeah. the progress of the company online and they were making those first introductions. Uh, but I think now uh, there's a couple of like cold outreaches that has been very kind of successful because people need this technology, right? Like the beauty space, yeah. not like, you know, fintech where there's a ton of startups. They need the technology. They are trying to find the technology, but they don't know where to find it. So that cold outreach is what has been working for us currently. But at the very beginning, those like warm introductions because, hey, I've seen you share this particular product on social media. I think you'll be a good fit for this other business. So let me introduce mm-hmm. That was our, the way we got our foot in. That's so cool. I love that you used, like you leveraged LinkedIn. The whole building in public is such a powerful strategy. So, you know, big kudos to you. Something I would love to ask you about is like, you know, how did you kind of go about building your data set with 100 skin shades? And like, what challenges did you face while you were going about doing that? So uh, the main challenge was there was no really like data set of that. Right. Like, right. No publicly available data set. So. Again, with the proof of concept, I've always built our own data from the beginning, right? So the first oh. thing we did was to use like celebrities and then work with an esthetician to be like, okay, what does this celebrity skin look like, right? Like, so uh-huh. uh, again, for the proof of concept, there were five skin shades. So these five skin shades, which celebrities have this five skin shades, right? Then I scraped the internet for like the images of those celebrities with those skin shades. But as we grew, we had to build a more robust data pipeline system. So uh, that has evolved a little bit, but at the beginning, it was like, hey, these are uh, five skin shades for the proof of concept. Uh, let's get data sets of celebrities who look, uh, oh, who have these five skin shades, which was porcelain, uh-huh. fair skin, olive skin, medium skin, and dark skin, right? And then uh, build the proof of concepts around that. That's that's super cool. 
Um, so talk to me about, I don't know if this is something that plays into this and I would just be curious to hear your thoughts. So something I've been hearing a lot about in the AI space from different people, when there is not a data set that exists, a lot of people are like creating synthetic data sets. So like Amazon, for example, I think it was called Palm One, I believe, but essentially um, when you go into the Amazon Go stores, instead of having to scan your phone, they want you to just be able to scan your handprint. Yeah. Uh, and they'll just, you know, everyone's palm is different. So we'll just look at your palm and that's how it like connects your account, charges you when you grab stuff. The problem they had when they did this was there is no data set of like people's palms. It just doesn't exist. So what they what they actually did was created um, a data set of like a million synthetic palms. So they used something like MidJourney or whatever, an image generator to generate palms. They trained it off of that. And then it was able to identify like real actual human palms from the synthetic data. I'm wondering for for what you guys are doing or have done, is that like a possibility? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not playing at all. We obviously have to use synthetic data, right? Like so hundred skin shades, like if you Google right now, hey, dark skin with like red undertones, the data yeah. can be very right, like it's very, very yeah. limited. So we do have to uh add a generative component to it. Uh but at the beginning we didn't really have that but right yeah but that was like 20 uh 19 2020 so we didn't really have that but now we are able to like grow the data so i think we are trying to move from what a data set of a million images trying to get to 10 million we do have to okay some of those images right we can't have purely like scrape yeah it is uh 10 million so there is an element of generated uh ai uh, as part of yeah okay yeah, that, that's super cool. I, I was wondering about that because it's so, it's, it's actually really fascinating the fact that in order to train AI, we can use generative AI to create the data set. It's like such a such a cool, like, it feels like it shouldn't work, you know? It's like you can't generate something with AI to train something to use something in real life, but it is, it's super, super cool. So I actually made a comment on that on LinkedIn about how I, I think there's going to be an inflection point where the amount of data trained on these models would mostly be the generative AI, right? Like the generative AI data would exceed the, you know, the internet data that we've been training models with. And I don't know what would happen then, but yeah, that was like really cool observation. Yeah, that that's so interesting. Okay, so talk to me. I know like it's hard to predict this stuff, but talk to me, what's your thinking, right? Like let's say everything is synthetic. We've talked about the concept or, you know, like like people talk about the concept with like text where you, you have model collapse, right? Where like, the data generated from like chat GPT. If you use chat GPT's output to, yeah. to, you know, training, then it like kind of gets corrupted and bad, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can we see the same thing with images and also yeah. like video where we're going, like what, what are the implications of the, you know, all this data being generative AI that we're training stuff on? Uh, so uh, I, I don't know about the, the implications of the generative AI part, but what I will say is that, you know, the model drifts in computer vision is real, right? Like, Okay. The users will be like, hey, your model was giving me good recommendations, but then it was slowly. So we have to keep an eye out. So one thing we have been doing to combat is we have to actually refresh the model multiple times. So okay. the reality is the more people use the model, the quicker the model degrades, right? So refreshing the model multiple times, it's something that uh, we learned as part of the process. We didn't know this at the beginning, right? Because uh-huh. like if you're learning about AI, you got to oh, build a model, you deploy it, and that's it. But no, it's like, no, you got to keep an eye out, see when the model starts grading. So that that happens a lot. So refreshing the model is like, uh, uh, we've automated that pipeline where we are con- okay. consistently training the data, consistently uh, refreshing the model APIs uh, in production. So that's how we've been trying to combat it. But you're absolutely right. 
Yeah. Uh, but in terms of how like generative AI, I think it's yet, it's yet to be seen, right? I know, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious. I was like, I know that what, what happens, right? Like, This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Sax.com. If it is very curious, but I also think there might be some legal implications of it. Yeah, like, what do you think the the problems, like, off the top of your head, if you could, and if you can't, I, mean, I can't think of anything, but, like, what issues do we run into if we go down this direction? What are maybe some, like, challenges, red flags? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, what are some of the concerns we have around this kind of model drift in the future, this direction as a whole? I think there are a couple, right? Uh, I, I think that, again, like, the legalities of it is something yeah various governments around the world are trying to like resolve right because i think mm-hmm. uh the U- european union have done an okay job of like getting ahead of it and trying to you know stabilize things uh i think whenever they did their gdpr uh it was like even though ai wasn't in the conversation i think it was part of the thing that would help legalization of it right so mm-hmm. it's very it's it's to be seen in that aspect right how various governments decide to you know uh create laws around these uh, data, right? So, like, imagine if it becomes illegal to use, I don't know, uh, George R.R. Martin's books to train a model, and then, you know, we find out that ChatGPT has been trained on uh, George R.R. Martin's book. Like, does yeah. R.R. Martin, like, have, like, a claim to it, right? So, those are, like, yeah. things that you can't really predict. It's only, oh, wait till we see. I know. Yeah, but I think that the most dangerous aspect is that in my personal opinion, yeah, if given the bells and whistles that everyone is throwing around, it's very essential that different groups of people are building these models, right? Because mm. as dangerous as you know, a lot of people are saying it is, and only a select few of people are building these models for all humanity. That's a problem, right? Like that to me is mm. the red flag, because you know we have we all come from different experiences, different thoughts, right? So if you're building something that only a few groups of people can relate to or actually building like that to me is more dangerous than any other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent agree with you. And when you think about that, are you thinking more like kind of like chat GPT and what OpenAI has going on or like other aspects of AI as well? All aspects, right? Because we've had, you know, uh, issues with like uh, even things like self-driving cars, right? Like the next phase of self-driving cars. We've seen it get into a few accidents, right? what is happening right and it's not because maybe the engineers are incompetent per se but we need multiple people to be able to see how that works right obviously like these large language models like chat gpt obviously you need like hey how is this working for every kind of scenario right but Mm -hmm. i think across the board across the board across the board multiple people building all these algorithms together as opposed to just a few select few people putting this out into the world for the entire world to consume yeah 100 percent agree with you there i I think you're you're spot on on that something that i'd love to ask you about is like what role do you think like open source like do you think open source could be a solution to that 
concern and that problem specifically. I've recently been seeing on Twitter, X, whatever, um, the, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. Uh, is it Ian? The head of um, AI at Meta. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, thank you. Uh, totally spaced on his name there. But he was saying that he really sees, of course, Meta's been really big on pushing the whole open source thing for AI. And he says that uh, he really believes that's the way the entire industry is going to is going to go. I'd love to hear your opinions and thoughts on this, because, of course, we have these big guys. We have Google closed source open yeah. AI. It's closed AI. Yeah. Um, you know, we have these big players and they got billions of dollars behind them. So a lot of people are like they can't lose. And um, over at Meta, right, he's saying that he believes this very similar kind of thing happened with the architecture of the, of the internet where essentially everything eventually went to a lot of open source platforms that are, you know, the code bases and, and the projects that we use to run the internet. But at the very beginning, it was like Microsoft and like Sun Systems and, and some other like, you know, big players that people thought they were centralized and they weren't going to get usurped, but they did by open source. Where do you think that plays out in AI today and in the future? So again, totally my opinion. I think that it's a, uh... Hail Mary, that would be the awesome, like the ultimate thing to have it open. I think the issue now is that like, you know, like building AI models is expensive, right? I think that's something a lot of people gloss over, right? Like it's expensive. Mm -hmm. It's not like software, like, you know, you can be a college student and then, you know, create Facebook and it will go big, right? Like you can't be a college student and create like open AI unless you have a lot of money behind yeah. it. So that is yeah. the thing that is, it's, I would love for it to be open source. But unless you get to a point where models are not as expensive as, you know, because I don't think, you know, I know Facebook has other revenue sources. That's why they can do all these open source models. Right. If open AI is like, that's how they make their money, right? Just like, yeah. hundreds of millions, if not billions to build this product. Like, would you want to give it away for free? That is the, you know, but yeah. I think it's, it's eventually going to get there. But how quickly is what I'm not that's a good point. And I think you bring up a good point of this is like how OpenAI makes the money. I think they just announced they crossed like $1.3 billion in annual recurring revenue or annualized, you know, revenue. And uh, like, it's not just that they're spending a lot of money, they're making a lot of money here. So it's it's not, you know, it's like to to get over that barrier to entry, you talk about moats and business and like, come on, that's, that is a, of course, you'll have the Facebooks and the Googles and maybe Apple and like those players that can that can do that. But like getting over the moat of OpenAI having $10 billion, making a billion dollars plus a year and putting it into training these models, like it is not easy for, like you mentioned, it's not gonna be a guy in, like out of you know college that creates Facebook and it goes viral because the barrier to entry is, oh, a billion dollars to train this thing or, you know, a hundred million dollars to train different yeah. aspects of the model. So very, very crazy. Um, yeah. Good insights on that for sure. Something I'd love to ask you about specifically. I uh, sorry for the the side tangent. Got it. Got to get your your uh, your view on what's happening. But what something I'd love to ask you about with Robo MUA is, you know, what are some real world applications for you know Robo MUA's technology beyond just like beauty and fashion industries, which I know you've been doing a lot of. Like, what are some other real world applications people can look forward to? Yeah. So there there is other things that we've been exploring, other uh, verticals that we've been exploring. Uh, I think the main issue is that like the data sets of 100 skin shades is something that is almost not accessible, right? And I mm. think, uh, I don't, this is like further down the line, but the concept of neuromorphic machines, are mm. which is now a lot of researchers, particularly at Brown, are trying to figure out how to make, you know, 
machines see the way humans do, right? Because right now they don't really see video vision algorithms are not really as uh, neurological as be. So uh, the researchers at the Searle Lab at Brown are working on that. So like, if that is the case, how do we let make sure that you know uh, these machines are seeing all humans under all lighting conditions under all weather conditions? Right? So take mm. self driving cars, right? Can a self driving car uh, or any autonomous vehicle identify like a dark skinned person in the middle of the night with no uh, proper street lights, right? Mm. Those types of those are the conversations that we are having, right? So like these manufacturing. Uh, the manufacturing uh, autonomous vehicles, right? Like, can they identify human skin if there's like low lighting conditions? If there's a mm-hmm. storm, right? If there's like a, a blizzard, right? Like, all those are the conversations that we are having. So, uh, I'm actually excited and seeing to see where this goes. Yeah, yeah, it's there, it's so fascinating. I, I really think you're like right on the cutting edge of such an interesting area. Um, and of course, your company that you're working on right now, like, so fascinating and so many cool use cases there. Um, something I would love to ask you as we're kind of wrapping up this interview is, you know, what is some advice you feel like you could give to aspiring professionals in the AI space as they're kind of looking to get started? Maybe they're interested in starting their own companies. Maybe they're looking at getting jobs within AI. What's a piece of advice you feel like uh, you you could give to them? So I think that uh, finding community uh, around AI. And I think a lot of times people just follow like very popular people in AI. I think you should find people who are doing what you are, you aspire to do. So not necessarily people who work at like a particular company or doing, but like if they are doing what you're aspiring to do, because you can follow your journey to see how they got there. Right. So that, yeah. that to me is like the, the best advice, like find someone who you think you can aspire to, who you're aspiring to, and just look up what how they got there, right? So I used to follow, I, I I still follow a lot of people on LinkedIn and like I would follow people who would share the projects they were building on LinkedIn. And so like I would go through their post and go like very far down the line, like a year ago, two years ago, what kind of projects were they building, right? And like I replicate that. So I'm like, okay, I can do, like there's like a journey or step-by-step process to where they get to, to got to where they were. Right. Mm-hmm. And I also think just like diving in and building, uh, I think a lot of people, they are not spectators, but they enjoy being spectators in this. And I don't think like AI, whether you want to get a job or you're trying to build a startup, like you can't be a spectator, right? Like you can't just be liking things on Twitter, uh, like, okay, oh, this is what Facebook is. No, no, dive in, right? If Facebook launches a new open source, what is it about? Try to dive into it, right? Like if there's a new course online, if you can't take it, it's probably like information on YouTube you'll find, right? Like diving in uh, instead of just like waiting uh, because you don't feel qualified enough or you don't think that you're good enough, like just dive in, right? And then see what happens. Those are two things I can say. Oh my gosh. Okay, something you said, I, I think is like some of the most fascinating advice I've ever heard I've ever heard because it is something I was, I was recently thinking about and that was, I was listening to some podcasts and this guy was like quoting a bunch of like books he'd read by famous people. And I'm like, I'm like, oh man, like, that's such an interesting concept, like reading books by like the people. Of course, it's very common, right? You like you read the Steve Jobs autobiography or the Bill Gates or the Elon Musk or whatever like that. Like That's the thing. You look up to someone and you like their career path. You like go read their autobiography and what they did. What I was thinking about, because I'm like, because I really don't do that a lot, but I follow like a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. like of people 
that are like alive today talking about projects they've done in the past and things they've done. And I like the concepts, you know, and so it's like, and I was thinking like, it's almost like my way of finding people I admire or like that I would like to emulate and listening to like what they're saying today. And I love that you had the, I, it, it kind of just like came full circle to me when you mentioned the the LinkedIn thing, like that is totally the modern way of doing what used to be reading like someone's autobiography. Mm-hmm. With AI today, things are changing so rapidly and the people that are like pushing forward the progress, they're alive and they're in action yeah. right now. Yeah. If you want to be in a specific space and you want to emulate that, like you don't have to wait till they write an autobiography or they die. Like look at what they're building today. And I love what you said about going to their LinkedIn going back a year and looking at what projects they were, everyone's building in public these days. Yeah. And uh, what a fascinating, I, I absolutely love that. That's That's gotta be some of the, the best advice to aspiring people I've heard. I'm wanting to come into this space is like, find the people doing cool things. Look what they were posting a year ago. Look at what their career path took them. And of course, like follow them today because that's what everyone does. But like, look at historically what they've done. I love that. That's amazing. Uh, that's, just, that's as good as you get to getting the inside scoop on the autobiography, you know, 20 years ahead of time. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Hey, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It has been absolutely phenomenal. If people want to find out more about you and kind of, you know, what you're working on your company, maybe, you know, companies want to test it out, try figure out how to implement this. What's the best way for them to find you and uh, RoboMUA? Yeah, uh, definitely find me on LinkedIn, uh, Emmanuel uh, Chamfong, A-C-H-E-A-M-P-O-N-G. Uh, but you can also go to RoboMUA.com. Uh, all our contact information is there too. Yeah, those are the two places I would highly recommend. Yeah, Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. To the listener, I'm going to drop a link um, in the show notes to uh, RoboMUA.com so you can just grab it there and go check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. To the listener, make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts and have a fantastic rest of your day.